After a celestial comet provides us the splendor of the perihelion stage, orbiting closest to the sun and in yielding its glory to everyone within sight, it continues its trajectory, eventually arriving at its opposing apsis, the aphelion stage. The term aphelion derives from the Greek term apo, meaning away, off, or apart. And that's pretty perfect, isn't it? When a comet is closest to the sun and in our presence, it has a way of bringing all of us together. We leave our homes, we find comfortable spots, and we synchronously look up at the sky. We're all different. But if we have anything in common, we sure do love witnessing a phenomenon. Now, just as much as we come together for the highs, at the lows, we do pull ourselves away. We do take off. We spend our time apart. The phenomenon is over. Life moves on. The difference between the celestial comets in space and the comets who ruled professional basketball for four years is natural comets don't technically stop when they leave our sight. They stay in orbit. They keep following the trajectory. They leave us wondering when we might see them again. The comets who star in our story, however, did see an abrupt end to their trajectory. It was as sudden a fall as was their rise. They fell away. They shut off. They grew apart. And like their galactic counterparts, they also leave us wondering something. What the hell happened? This is the third and final chapter of the story of the Houston Comics. This is W History. How is it going again, WNBA fans? So good to have you, and welcome to our third installment of W History, where we chronicle some of the most interesting and influential stories in the history of the WNBA and women's basketball. I hope you've liked your comet talk, your perihelions, your aphelions, your nucleuses, your whatnot. We're about to put a cap on uh, just one of the most interesting dynasties in the history of sports. And as you may know, if you've listened to parts one and two, I ain't doing this alone. I'm here with my esteemed partners, Kyle Haywood and Logan Jones. Kyle and Logan, how are you? I'm good. How we doing, Logan? I'm good. I, uh, whew, I've mentally recovered somewhat from the last <laughs> episode of W History, and oh, I'm, I'm ready for a third. I can't. I still feel so bad about that. But there was just no way around how it went down. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, like, I think I kind of explained it to you guys before. The only way I know how to explain it is if, like, you happen to know a spoiler of a character dying on a show and you have, like, a friend or a significant other watching the show and you're watching the episodes leading up to when that's happening, but they don't know and you know and you're like, oh, they're going to have to deal with this. <laughs> and I can't say anything yet. <laughs> well, like, Well, not only that, but, like, because that was obviously like the biggest like part of that whole episode. It felt like that was kind of yeah. this big, this big point, but like also four straight championships and all kinds of, all kinds of yeah. other, like there, there was a lot of positive things happening. Yeah. Like it was kind of a, it, it reminds me like a couple of years back, like no last year on my birthday, I was at the mountain West tournament and watching uh, Utah State play in a game, and I was excited. And literally, as as like as the the uh, the referee tossed the ball up into the air, I got a text from like my phone beeped right as as they tossed the ball in the air for the tip. And I grabbed my phone and I checked it, and it was my mom letting me know that my grandma had died. 
And it was the weirdest, like, emotional, like, thing to try and navigate. Like, on my birthday at, like, this awesome tournament and my grandma, like, it was just like, how do, I didn't, I didn't really know how to feel. And I think that's kind of how last episode felt for me. It was just like, there's so many positives. There's so many heartbreaks. Like, cause it wasn't just the Kim Barat thing. It was the, um, yeah. Uh, I Cynthia mean, Cooper's whole, yeah, like, the house burned everything. down, the car yeah. crash and, uh, mother had cancer. Yeah. There, there were lots of other things to, yeah. I mean, and, and it would be one thing if you, if we were like recapping, like, oh, in the, in this four years, all this happened, but that was all in like a summer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was just the one like less than one calendar year, all of it happened. This is definitely a WNBA story that deserves documentary. It could be the, the main WNBA story that deserves like a biopic though. Mm-hmm. Like that and, and, and sports biopics scarcely work, but like legitimately a, like a Houston Comets, Jerry Bruckheimer sports movie could work for all the reasons it's got, it's got all the elements. It's got good old fashioned rivalry and sports pettiness. It has your horribly tragic heartfelt moments. It's a team that's just really good. And also a team that becomes really bad. Like it just, it goes <laughs> in so many directions. Um, like how many documentaries or movies exist that are like the rise and fall. This is the most quintessential rise and fall story I've ever experienced because it just lives in that timeline. It's, it's insane. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's weirdly coupled. I don't know if you guys noticed lately. It's weirdly coupled. I feel like the comments have become like frequently bandied about on the internet. <laughs> I, I get the sense that maybe it's just because that's where my head is right now. But I feel like that's and maybe it's because like 20 years ago was when the run ended. It was 2000. So, you know, there's some sort of anniversary sense to that. Let's go ahead and kick this off then. Let's talk about the 2001 season. The 2001 season. So kicking things off coming out of the year 2000. So the year 2000 caps off with some actual good news. Believe it or not, we get to stay a little uphill here. The public referendum to approve funding for a new basketball arena in downtown Houston passes with 65% of the vote, which is pretty good because it pretty swiftly was not approved a year prior. Uh, A lot of things led to... The switch up, the adaptation that assured no new public taxes really did play a role, a huge role, huge role, played a huge role. Um, the, the, be, being able to assure that no new public taxes are going to be paid uh, was pretty pivotal in this. But that also meant the Comets and the Rockets owner, Les Alexander, would have to cover more costs than he anticipated, which will eventually be a very critical detail later. So I'll remember, I'll hope to remember to call back to this, but. Um, that's actually, it starts off with a positive piece of news that actually is a bit of a pebble that led to demise here. Uh, switching from January 1 to January 8th, uh, as you guys recall, partway into the previous season, 2000, Cynthia Cooper announced her intention to retire as a professional basketball player. On January 8th, she announced her return to the WNBA as head coach of the Phoenix Mercury, replacing Cheryl Miller who left to pursue a career in sports broadcasting. Okay. I thought I knew this part. I was pretty, like, pretty positive. Well, okay, not pretty positive. I knew that she coached in Phoenix. I just didn't mm-hmm. realize how quickly it was Yeah. After afterward. Because right they'd the had a pretty good, they'd had a pretty good rivalry. Like, yeah, they'd Miller played some doing- really solid games against each other in that yeah. amazing series. 
And it's a little unfortunate in a sense, because I, I thought Cheryl Miller, even up to that point, was doing a, a really solid job. I mean, 98 finalists, um, you know, they had a, a bit of a rough season in 2000, but seemed to be doing well. But, you know, had a contract with TNT for broadcasting, wanted to stick to that. And then Cynthia Cooper stepped in to answer a follow-up question you guys have. Uh, the Comets did host the Mercury in the fifth game of that season. So when that, that's when they'd finally have a chance to match things up. Uh, we mm. may hit that in just a minute. Um as we move on from this point, I do want to set a little bit of kind of uh, meta instruction here for you guys, something that I think will be a pattern. At various points in today's timeline, I'll be pointing out what I like to call symptoms as they come up. These are pivotal factors that, from my view, led to from the end of last part two all the way to the end of the story. So when you look at the end of the comment stories, these to me were some of the key symptoms that paid a huge role in that. And we're going to kick this off with what I would potentially call the first symptom, maybe the second when you factor, you know, we talked about how the referendum went down and, and how that would play a role in April on April 20th, 2001, a key symptom in the early stages of the season uh, to me, or, or not even the early stage of the season, but just in this whole process, what I was key symptom is the comet's inability to draft for their next generation. This isn't necessarily called out as a knock on the scouting efforts or anything of that like, but really, it's just a harsh side effect of four years of high-octane success. It's one of those things that they rode so high that um, that's a side effect of it. They didn't get a chance to to draft effectively for obvious reasons. After losing a three-time MVP and generational score on Cynthia Cooper, it would have been high time to invest in the future at that point. But as generally expected, their draft placement due to previous season success put them on the outskirts of, and if you guys want to review it with me, one of the deepest WNBA drafts of all time. I was going to say, we have reviewed this. Yeah, yeah. this is one of our lists. <laughs> it is obviously, yeah, it's one of the best, um, you know, it's, we've talked about this. It might have been number one with a, with a couple of us. And, and obviously, I don't put that lightly. The draft was bonkers to review it. Three Women's Hall of Famers, uh, Women's Basketball Hall of Famers, and Lauren Jackson, Tamika Ketchikis, and Jackie Styles take up the first four picks. And this is the point where I say, poor, poor Kelly Miller, who went second. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, she, she had a, a respectable, you know, time in the WNBA in her own right, but she also is sort of the Darko Milicic of the scenario, and that's unfortunate. Um, that this also includes eight multiple time all stars in the first eleven picks alone, Jeez. and obviously none of those were able to follow the Houston Comets. Many um, WNBA historians, you know, so one thing, Horians, man, I'm going to be all over the place right now, guys. It's late. My, my apologies. <laughs> That's fine. So many yeah. uh, WNBA historians claim that the league's recent expansion from twelve to sixteen was what I'd call too much too soon, and I'd agree with that. I think it makes sense in general because the W really didn't have a lot of time to acclimate to that 12 team structure before all of a sudden adding a quarter of their league at one time. And the comments were a huge, uh, I think effectant of that. If that's even a word, uh, it was a potential, it was a huge issue for them because at this point they stood with the 15th pick out of 16 selections. The sparks had the last selection because of their record at the end of last season. If this was a 12 team league, the Comets would generally be at the 11. That's what would be assumed. They'd be at the 11th pick, which would have netted them if all things stayed the same, which would have netted them star of the Dandenong Rangers of the Australian League, Penny Taylor. Ooh. So instead of Penny Taylor, 
and what we know Penny Taylor to be. The Comets selected Missouri forward Amanda Lassiter. Uh, Lassiter helped reignite success at Mizzou, leading them to their first Sweet 16 berth in nearly two decades. At this point, a valuable pick, and, and again, someone who had a respectable career in their own right. Um, however, um, I think one good point here, um, the Comets making this pick did pass up Rutgers alum and two-time All-Star Tammy Sutton Brown, who fell to the second round before they were selected by the Charlotte Sting. And I want to make a, a, a make clear another fun fact for the Sting. The Sting are the team who had the second pick in the draft, who took Kelly Miller, thus passing on Tamika Catchings. Ooh. And I just want to envision this. I, and you guys know me. I don't love doing the... um like doing the whole play of, oh, they could have drafted this person, like the Sam Bowie discussion. That said, imagine a Charlotte Sting team with Tamika Catchings and Don Staley. Oh like my we, goodness. Like we could have had that. <laughs> <laughs> like they could have given Sign us that. me up. And we didn't oh. get that. Doesn't, I'm a little, that, doesn't I'm, make you guys okay. as mad as it does me? When you, like, I love when people point things out to me, like, Things that's like, oh, do you realize that this and this could have happened or this and that? That one stings almost. Like that one kind of almost. Pun intended. Just, yeah. Like, <laughs> like it really, like that one actually, that does hurt a little bit. Yeah, but that, that one gets get me. to see that. Not even, not even for the fact that we could have seen Tamiki catching, like seen catch in a sting jersey. Um, man. Yeah, that really, that one, that moment broke me. But we'll move on from the draft. April 24th. Just four days later, this becomes especially pivotal as Cheryl Swoops tears her anterior cruciate limit ligament and during a pickup game of all things. That's always the best when it's during something that's whatever. Um, and from that moment on, it's ruled out for the WNBA season. So we have another year with no Cheryl Swoops. Uh, Chancellor, from this point, plays around with his lineups the first few weeks of the season. Lasseter does end up taking up a bulk of the interim starting role from that year. And she does a pretty strong job. I believe she makes the all-rookie team. Um, she gets consistent minutes. Isn't quite an, off you know, an offensive crutch, but, you know, does really well in rebounds, gets consistent minutes, consistent touches. But just imagine a scenario where that's rookie Penny Taylor. That's what frustrates me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like yeah, obviously, replacing Cheryl's, you don't just, you know, you don't just replace Gary Bertier and you don't just replace Cheryl swoops, <laughs> but like Penny Taylor, man, that would have been a solid pickup in that role and would have been in that role. Uh, and so it's just one of those, if a few things are different in a few different cases, we, we'd have had uh, a more interesting result. So with swoops out, the general star role at this point, which for years was the Cooper swoops tug of war falls to Tina Thompson and Janeth Arkeen uh, taking on a huge bulk of the offensive load which obviously pays off for her pretty effectively. This should give you guys an idea of the pattern of this episode. You know, I think in the last episode, we went heavy into like a lot of games. We went almost week on week. We're jumping from April to June. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> it makes sense. Cause we're, yeah, yeah. like we're, we're just looking at the overall story. Cause we've got to cover yeah. eight seasons this well, episode. Yeah, eight seasons. And it's just, there's just, it's just the details are a little bit less yeah. in the sense of, the level of basketball, but also it, as this story continues to reflect, there's just a lot less to research. All of a sudden, the Houston Chronicle just has a lot less Comet stories, and and that does play a role pretty heavily. 
that said, heading into June 21, believe it or not, the th- uh, things look incredibly strong for the Comets at first as they head to the end of June with a 10 and 2 record. Thompson at this point is playing at MVP level. She's averaging 23 points a game. Arcane is just behind her, averaging 20 points even. And both players uh, received all star nods. And now, the All Star 2001 Western Conference starting lineup. The top vote getter in the Western Conference returning for her third All Star start. Forward from the Houston Comets and last year's All Star MVP, Tina Thompson. And guard from the four-time champion Houston Comets in her first All-Star appearance, the unstoppable Jeanette Arcane. Both players also started. Jeanette Arcane was an All-Star starter. In yeah. 2001, which I think and is dope. You and you know what? Still so deserved it. And also one of my favorite calls when they um, announced, you know, they introduced the starting five. The PA called her the unstoppable Janet Arcane. That was dope. <laughs> this um, does. This raises yeah. a question that I that I think about sometimes. If someone gets recognition like this, like they're an all-star game starter, do they lose a little bit of the underrated street cred or can you still call them underrated even though they were obviously recognized for being great i think that's a great question i think for me the underrated label can go a, a lot of different ways and for instance when i think of arcane i think her underratedness goes to the fact that when we talk about this comets dynasty we talk about three players and we could easily be talking about four and five, right. really. I think, you know, Kim Peratt's in there that's for sure. That's and I think that's the it. idea is, is she never could quite be a discussion over the big three and very well could have been. And, you know, I, and I, I think of, I think a good parallel, you, you could look at a couple players on, on the, those great links teams. You could call it Rebecca Brunson. We all knew Rebecca Brunson was an amazing Hall of Fame yeah. level player. She's she, best another, in the history of the game. Another big call out when we tweeted, but, like, who's the most underrated WNBA player yeah. ever? Brunson and Arcane were like half of the Brunson, response. Brunson on any other team might be perennial all star, like, top, like, face of an organization anywhere else. She just happened to be on a team that was full of those types. And Arcane very well could have been in a situation where. You know, we could be talking about Janet the same way that we talk about Tamiki Catchings and the like. I mean, that's how good she was. It was just a situation. That's kind of how I view it. Um, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah. But I still think it's fantastic that she is in that. I almost think uh, I feel Jewel Lloyd in that sense, too. I mean, 2019, she started in the All-Star game. But mm-hmm. I don't think we truly value Jewel Lloyd for the absolute level of talent she is. Just, I'd agree with that. She's on a stacked roster. I think that there's a couple players on Seattle that you could make that argument for. There's, there's Be, uh, the because, elite players and the underrated players. That's because, kind of the whole roster. Yeah, it's like their literal whole starting five is all star starter caliber, basically. Yeah. Like they're all up there. So exactly, <laughs> solid roster, top to bottom. Um, we may have to start speeding through 2001 because we have a lot of real estate to cover, but. Um, yeah, that was fun. Some other fun facts about the All-Star game. Cheryl Swoops was a guest panelist, which was kind of fun. Um, have her there to talk about the game. Obviously, we'd love to see her in the game. 
That said, let's skip over to August around this time. Obviously, the Comets head into the All-Star break with a lot of momentum. You know, they're winning games. They're seeing strong play, potential MVP-level performances out of Thompson. It's around this time that the wheels sort of start to fall off for the Comets, and most notably for Thompson, who is struggling through what local writers kept calling the slump. I saw that phrase in a lot of headlines. The slump, still ongoing. In the first half of the season, Thomas averaged 22.5 points a game. She shot around 43% for the field, 32% from three. In the second half of the season post-All-Star break, she drops to 16 points a game, around 30% from the field, and around 25% from three. Mm. You just see a very quick, quick dip in, in her performance. So that slump, along with a good deal of disjointedness and wear and tear across the roster. I mean, just, you know, one unspoken thing about this year and a lot of years you're going to see soon is just chippy injuries. You see a handful of people out for the season, but you'll see a lot of people missing games here and there. And this is very much the deal with with the team in general. This leads to the 10 and 2 comets becoming the 19 and 13 comets by the end of the season. So they go 9 and 13 to end the season. They barely nab the final playoff spot in the Western Conference before they get swept out of the first round by the eventual 2001 MVP Lisa Leslie and 2001 hey. champion LA Sparks. So there you the, go. The 2000 favorites finally get their chip. If y'all remember <laughs> sparks were apparently supposed to win it in 2000, but they got it in 2001. Um, great year for LA, by the way, great year, great year for the Staples center. The so, mid nineties is when they start the league and they yep. barely are getting their second champion in 2001. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good stat. That's kind of like how the Boston Celtics have only won one title since the Berlin Wall fell. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a that, that's a Tristan Boyce credit on that one. But, um, yeah, that is that's uh, ooh. Yeah. that that really warps your mind to to think about because we're we're getting to the era now where I'm starting to remember stuff like 2001, Lisa Leslie, like it's all ringing a bell. Um, but to put things into historical context. Uh, always, I mean, 2001 yeah. was 20 years ago. And, and let me also tell you something. <laughs> As a Los Angeles resident at the time, this was super, super fun. You couldn't see a picture of Shaq anywhere in Los Angeles that didn't include a picture of Lisa Leslie. That's amazing. I mean, the Staples Center was a party. Uh, you know, we just had, it was, it was a lot of fun. Our teams were on fire. It, it was kind of a fun thing. And Lisa Leslie became such, I mean, she's well known in Los Angeles, but really became a household name, like to that level where everyone knew who she was. And she was very much a part of that LA sports zeitgeist. The help of the Dodgers, I mean, their biggest name at the time might have been Gary Sheffield or Eric Gagne, which I will not sully the great name of Eric Gagne game over, but, um, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it certainly was, was a pretty cool time to, to witness that. Like, I keep thinking back to that, um, you know, as a kid, and it was a pretty cool thing. That said, let's go ahead and jump right into 2002. The 2002 season. Uh, to kick off the year, Coach Chancellor uh, is celebrating becoming the official new head coach of Team USA, which is pretty awesome. Right. Well deserved. Uh, but, but while that's happening, he's also making pretty frantic efforts to bolster what is a worn down roster? I think a lot of last year's, a lot of players had to take on extra load and the wheels fell off toward the end of the season. So to, to get this kicked off, he travels to Georgia, the nation, not the state, 
for a goodwill mission to meet with Russian star and 99 Comets draftee Natalia Zasulskaya. I don't know if you remember that name. This is in an effort to coax her to finally join the team after post-draft, she decided to stay in Russia to help take care of her sick mother. Uh, and the Z-woman, as Coach Chancellor always called her, ends up rejecting the offer, wants to focus on her current team, Dynamo Moscow, and and to focus on Russian team, you know, Russian national team. I believe 2004 was her last playoffs. Uh, but she was a superstar in Russia and, and, and would have been a big pickup. He was really excited for the chance to use her. And, and just couldn't get, her, quite work couldn't out. get her here. Mm. Yeah, so that's another one that, like, oh, if we could have made that happen, who knows? Uh, kicking into February... Um, Swoop's efforts to return in full force actually looks pretty positive as she starts in her first professional game with the Houston Stealth of the NWBL. Now, if you know much hmm. about the NWBL, uh, if you don't, it's the National Women's Basketball League. It, in a lot of ways, almost considered a developmental style league. A lot of WNBA players took off-season minutes for the NWBL. And I mainly highlight this because I need to share with you the names of the NWBL teams. This is good stuff. Oh, please. Let's do this. So a handful of these teams weren't playing at the time, but I'm just going to go up and down this list because I, I just this this all oh, this is wonderful. Possibly my favorite kicks right off, but it's hard to tell because there's a lot of good ones. The Atlanta Justice. Ooh. Uh, the Birmingham Power, which is straight up an arena football team. Got to be <laughs> the Chicago Blaze. The Colorado Chill, the Grand Rapids Blizzard, the Colorado Chill, the Houston Stealth. <laughs> From here, we start to get fun. The Iowa Cornets. No, that's <laughs> not a real thing. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's not heaven. It's uh, Iowa. The Iowa Cornets. Awesome. Uh, the Lubbock Hawks. This is a great one. The Mobile Majesty. Mm. Ooh. Uh, the San Francisco Legacy. Another fantastic one is the San Diego Siege, the San Jose Spiders, and the Springfield Spirit. Um, we need the, these. Whoever came up with the names for that league needs yeah. to just stick around because they did a fantastic job across the board. Uh, I just the head, you know, the former journalist in me really wants to write headlines for the Colorado Chill for a full season. <laughs> <laughs> no, that really opens itself up to a lot of opportunities. I love the idea that you could write for the chill and the avalanche. And after a while, like Denverians, like may not know which team you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like at any, like the avalanche could have been the chill and it wouldn't have missed a beat. I, that was for no reason other than I just wanted to talk about some great team names. Um, swoops and chancellors, new opportunities are, are solid things. I do consider them another secondary symptom of our story in that, a lot of our top level characters in this story had other opportunities that sort of distracted them from I won't I don't want to say prioritizing the comments, but it certainly took some focus away. And for Swoops, it's a little different. She was trying to get back on the court, but she did also lead the stealth to an NWBL championship. So there's some support there. If you talk to Chancellor or hear interviews from Chancellor since he retired. A bulk of what he talks about is coaching Team USA, which is fantastic. Um, but you can definitely tell that that was something he put a lot of emphasis in. And you can't help but think that a little of that Mr. X from the bank of of coaching the Comets. I think it's just a natural thing that you do. That makes sense. It felt like a symptom to me. Heading into April of 2002, uh, the events in April do show 
positive signs in terms of bolstering the roster, as Chancellor has been trying to do. They draft six foot five Tennessee center Michelle Snow, uh, who is the uh, I believe the Wait, second six foot player. five. What she's a center, center out of Tennessee. I believe she's the second player to ever dunk in the in the WNBA. Um, yet uh, by the way, another stack draft. So this is another thing like their inability to get in a strong position. They get Snow at the ten spot, but. They just after they're like a couple picks away from missing out on Alicia Jones and Nikki Teasley. And I mean, obviously, they're not going to be in the running for a Subert or a Swin Cash, but they were out of a spot where they could have got some perennial all stars. Michelle Snow actually was a, a multiple time all star herself. Um, but, you know, that who knows where it could have been if, with a couple switches. But Snow had a respectable year. It was a pretty solid pickup in general for them. Nikki Teasley would have been interesting. Teasley would have been really interesting. Now, I talked about efforts to bolster the roster. Now, these come in ways that seem pretty solid and make some sense. There are some that I would say are almost pseudo-controversial. Because the Cons continue their bold moves when they send a second-round draft pick to the Liberty in exchange for Rebecca Lobo. on Palmer, drives inside and lays it good off the glass. Ball fake to the elbow for a jump shot, money. Goes into the right corner, Lobo three, got it, Rebecca Lobo. <laughs> so I don't know if you knew that Lobo was a Comet for a while. I did not. Yep. Now, is it, is it is it uh, bad form to, like, could we walk around All-Star Weekend with a Lobo Comets jersey and get... That would be pretty hard what, to find. What would yeah. the reaction be? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to do it, but like one of us is going to lose a bet, and I think that would be a fun thing to make the... I don't think it would be outrightly <laughs> negative. I would actually say it might get some cool response from people that are like, she she was there for one year, and I think it'd be kind of cool to be like, that's a bit of a rarity. There might be also a few people who would just think you don't, like if they didn't know that, would be like, <laughs> do you even know the WNBA? Like, totally wasn't. Like, I'm a comment invite, and Rebecca too many questions. Yeah, Um, I I do want to make a caveat on this. Unfortunately, this is good to bear in mind. This is a bit different of a Rebecca Lobo than we know, uh, especially from three seasons ago. Obviously, she came off two years where she was out. She was real with a lot of injuries. Still a pretty eyebrow raising pickup. I mean, a lot of people are saying, is this a chance to to rebolster things? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But they make some moves. They try to get some attention. You know, it's 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 really interesting to see where this might go. So in June of 2002, the Comets start off the season at five and three before immediately jumping on a 10 game win streak that runs them through mid July. So again, they make one of these strange team runs that are like, how are they pulling this off and becoming a a threat league wide? It's around the same time that Cynthia Cooper steps down as head coach of the Mercury due to the birth of surrogate twins. Hmm. The article specifies the circuit twins. It doesn't specify that the Mercury had the second worst record in the league, but whatever. Um, mutual <laughs> decision is what they called it, dude. And obviously, like, great story. It was a really cool thing and happy that they got to have that moment. But, you know, usually recipes have multiple ingredients is, is how I've learned it. But let's head into July. <laughs> That's a good phrase. I like that. So we talk about Cooper leaving the, the Mercury. 
July 11th, ironically enough, the Comets win streak is broken after they lose to the now Cooperless Mercury. So team loses their Hall of Fame level coach, and then they break a winning streak. The Comets follow by losing the three of their next four games, and then they follow that by winning eight of their last ten to close out the regular season. So they close out the season 24-8. and eight. They're the second seed in the Western Conference. They're one game shy of the 25-7 and seven Sparks. So let's roll on into the playoffs. Um, this su- success comes off somewhat surprising, but it's especially fruitful for Swoops as she's awarded her, I believe, second Defensive Player of the Year award and her second MVP award, which was somewhat controversial. Uh, there's a lot of really good basketball being played. I want to say Katie Smith was the leading scorer in the league. Um, obviously, this Leslie's playing at a great level, and so it was, it was a little bit shocking that it went to Swoops, but it went to Swoops. Uh, Honestly, though, that's about the only positive hardware you're going to get from the Comets at this point, as they're immediately mm. ousted by the Stars two to one in the first round, and hey, go the Utah stars are crushed by the eventual <laughs> champion Sparks. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the first positive thing that the Utah Stars have probably done in the league. And it was basically the last thing the they did as they yeah, were immediately <laughs> moved to San Antonio in the offseason. <laughs> that's the next thing on my list. Uh, definitely feels like. Like we know, we we knew the number was four, right? They they got four in a row. That was the only four, and then we know what happens next. But it feels like if you were experiencing this and they were twenty four and eight, you'd be like, last year was dumb, but we back, right? Like we're going for number Honestly, five, yeah. five and six years. Honestly. Like that would be your mindset. How could yeah, it not I, be if if the if the storm walk into this next season and which is a very similar story by the way, comments lose Cheryl swoops. And the storm had a year without Bree Stewart. If they come back into this year and they their first fifteen games, they're fourteen and one or yeah, whatever. You're like we we're back. Okay, we're back. We're going. This is happening. Way. Yeah, I totally see that. That makes total sense to me. But yeah, the stars move to San Antonio and become honestly my least favorite team name possibly in WME history, which is San Antonio Silver Stars. Silver Stars. Yeah. Just don't. Like but at it. least they spelled stars with an S. And that might be why I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> took away the double Z. I like a society <laughs> where there's a Z in there. Maybe not two, but at least one. Um, actually, Star is one Z is an actual. Wasn't that, wasn't that a channel for a long time? Yeah. It was like my showtime, sort of, but not really. I don't and know. Who watches TV anymore, right? Yeah, does that exist <laughs> at all? I know it's like 20 HBO still. I heard that like a new one, just like a new network or something. Just like, that's nothing. Um, this really, but this stars move actually is what really kicks off a series of, uh, you know, relocation events that happens a lot and really is the birth of the event that became the foundation of that, which was the WNBA's new collective bargaining agreement. At this time, CBA negotiations are ongoing. What it did do was free up team owners to sell teams to private organizations at seemingly any price. So basically a part of the agreement when the league kicked off was that like NBA teams would take on, you know, counterparts, which is how that happened. And at this point they were freed up to pretty much sell them to anyone who was willing to buy for the right price. And, you know, we obviously see evidence of that throughout several different organizations at this point. Now this plays a huge role in an off season that saw talked about the stars moving to San Antonio. Also the Orlando miracle become the Connecticut sun and Portland and Miami both fold outright. So we're down from 16 teams to 14 teams and Connecticut's now officially in the running. And that rolls us right into 2003. 
the 2003 season. 2003 moves fast. We go straight into April. So okay. If you wanted to talk, if you wanted to talk, <laughs> forget Q1, the other months. Want to talk Q1 of 2003? You don't get to talk about that at all. We're going straight into Q2. Yeah. April 24th. Uh, the draft is postponed to, to late in the month due to continuing CBA disputes, but finally takes place on April 24th. The Comets take Tulsa's Allison Curtin with the last pick of the first round, but most notable for them is the dispersal draft. So whenever a team officially folds, they have what's called a dispersal draft in certain players. I think there's a few that are protected, but a certain amount of players are put on a roster that the rest of the WNBA could draft from. So the soul and the fire uh, have rostered players who are in that running. Now the comments uh, who pick second to last in that run take Yukari figs. However, passing on hall of famer, Jackie styles to make that pick. Styles, of course, has taken the next selection by the Sparks. Mm. So again, an opportunity where it's like maybe who you knows what's going to happen. Yeah, had a shot. This keeps happening. And five days after the draft, the Comets made what felt like the move. You talked, Logan. You you hit on this, and I think this is even more so. This like oh maybe we're back. They make the move that felt like was going to return them to form when Cynthia Cooper announces her return to the roster. It's 2003. Cooper, I'm back. Just funny how that lines up with Jordan's return, but that's nothing, right? Um, but yeah, so so we got Cynthia Cooper back. We have what, what seems like a roster that tried to make some momentum, got into the playoffs, had a 24 and 8 season. Is is it a return to the dynasty? Let's see how it goes. So May 22nd, 2003, the Comets opened the season with an 11 point win over the Seattle Storm. Swoop scores 27. Joined with Cooper's 11 points and 7 assists. The next three games, Cooper follows up with a 9-point outing against her former employer in the Mercury. She then drops 22 points apiece against the Sun and the Lynx. And in responding to a recent performance, um, also coupled with the fact that those 22-point games unfortunately come as losses, uh, people were just asked about her performance and how it connects to the team's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper says, quote, there's plenty of time left and we're going to get nothing but better, close quote. Feel that quote in your body. Mm. <laughs> the very next day. I have a feeling. <laughs> the very next day, Cooper would tear her rotator cuff in practice and was oh. slated to miss at least the next two weeks. However, 10 days later, the comments announced Cooper would require surgery and would miss the rest of the season. She was getting right back into form. She was. I'm so sad. Getting back into 20 point games. They were seeming somewhat well oiled. And the comments respond to this blow of losing Cynthia Cooper, who was going to get them back with some pretty tepid play. They finished July winning seven of their last eight, which is positive. Uh, and that's mostly, believe it or not, led by Michelle Snow, who had nearly averaged a double double in that span. And this is led, uh, this helps the comments at least finish with a 20 and 14 record, which gives them the second playoff seed in the Western Conference. And the league made note of Snow's performance. I mean, she really held the team together at this point. Uh, after that loss, nah, and with that, she gets the Most Improved Player Award, and that couples with Swoops winning her third Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, so so they do get some hardware. Now, walking into September, which is when the playoffs would kick off, the Comets walk into the playoffs looking to reverse the recent luck uh, that they were able to have in the first round last season, and honestly, season before. But the injury plague roster fizzles against a fast-paced Monarchs team, and they fall again in the first round 2-1. to one. And the Monarchs would go on to lose to the Sparks, who would then lose 
to the Detroit Shock as the Shock win the first of their three championships. Which, by the way, three championships. I think I brought this up to you, Kyle and Logan. I don't know if you know this, but do you know that the Dallas Wings technically have three three titles to their name? Really? Yeah. Yeah, the Detroit the Shock would become the Tulsa Shock and then would become the Dallas Wings. And I, so Shock there's, there's, there's four future. championships. There's four I, I teams think, uh, with with three titles or more. Because you've got Houston, you've got the Shock slash Wings, and you've got Phoenix, and you've got Seattle. And then everybody else who's won a title. Yeah. Uh, you oh, also no, you have got, the Sparks. Uh, Minnesota. The Sparks also have one. Minnesota and the Sparks. Yeah. And then you've got like just a handful that have like won one. One or maybe two. And the Storm have three as well. This, this might so be a, a handful with, have three. with Wings fans. And I, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited bunch. for the Wings this I think season. it's, it sounds like, that's like six teams that have if, three yeah. or more titles. Only two teams have four now. If, I don't think the Wings yeah. have three. Cause if you're two moves, if you're two city moves away, you don't, you don't claim those anymore. I just, their lineage, you know, I puts three stars on their name. I'm not, I'm not telling you my gut. I know I'm telling you what the record Nobody here decided me. it. It's just, if, if it wasn't even the previous city, if it was two cities ago, I don't. I mean, the Tulsa year was a bit short lived. <laughs> I know that doesn't help. I'm just, <laughs> I, 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 if, I don't make these rules. I'm excited for the wings this year, but if they if they try coming, if I ever see a wings fan try to talk smack on Twitter, and be like, "We got three rings, bro." I'm gonna be like, mm, "I'm gonna say something." <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you what the book's telling me. It's in the thing, you know. That's how it is. And I'm um, arguing with Steve, and Steve is literally reciting historic facts. I'm, I'm like, just trying. No. <laughs> it's strange, but it's different, right? We we entered our full time coverage of the league at a time when when the wings weren't as brutally impressive, but there were times for certain. And obviously, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to there. That said, this is all interrupting from one of the biggest pieces of news, which is the Cleveland Rockers folding in the off season, which is another unfortunate one. Yeah, see, that's the sad stuff here. Is it's just a lot of stores closing shop, which really sucks. Um, and a lot of stories that we could visit in time, but I don't know if I necessarily want to go get a cavalcade of just teams that shut down. It just feels depressing. We might have to sprinkle those in with some more fun stories. We'll see. I haven't figured out the exact, uh, what like season one of W history is going to feel like. We'll, we'll have to see, but this takes us right into 2004, the 2004 season. Oh, four, of course, is an Olympic year, which is good to pay attention to. We're going to jump right into February. Cooper's status for the 2004 season is still uncertain. Um, and Arcane at this point elects to stay in Brazil to prepare for the Athens Olympics. So she's preparing to, to play for Team Brazil. Isn't going to be on the roster. We don't know if Cooper's coming back or not. So as a safety net, uh, the Comets trade draft picks to the Shock for guard Kaja Hollenkorn, who starts started every game for the Monarchs with her in her first four seasons and then took on a bit of a lesser role with the Shock. She didn't get a lot of minutes off the bench. So this gets her in a position where she can get some more starting minutes, see if they can reliven that up. Decent move overall. Uh, April 17th of 04, the April draft is pretty uneventful for Houston because they traded their first and second round pits, picks to Detroit and Phoenix, respectively. This is a conversation we're going to have a lot, which is irrelevant drafts, another symptom. Uh, and they held on to that pick. And we brought this name up already. Had they held on to that selection in the first round that they gave up for Hollingcorn, they would have been in the running to select all-time career rebound leader Rebecca Bronson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, this happens What you so doing, much. Lolo? Like, who What you they, doing, Lolo? You know I caught you doing something. <laughs> uh, it just keeps... Yeah, like, this type of stuff happens all the time, and it's frustrating. Oh, my uh, gosh. 
And I'm just going to make this quick. Let's jump all the way into September. Cooper does officially announce her retirement in May. The Comets retire her jersey in July. And that's really most of the interesting stuff that happened wow. that year. They finished the season 13 and 21. It's their first se- uh, year without a postseason berth. They're on the outside looking in. And they would have to sit at home as the Seattle Storm win their first championship. That's 2004. <laughs> I, some of Seattle. these I had to speed through. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Sue and so Sue and Lauren get their first, uh, and it was a fun one. And honestly, let's talk 2005. The 2005 season. I I a couple of these go by really fast, and that's life. No, that's that's fine because I know that we're gonna. I know that there's got to be. A little bit of a slowdown towards the end here, so I'm cool. I'm cool breezing it's through some of this. It's gonna slow down a bit, but a lot of these do it because honestly, this is about where you start to see the the media support a major decline really jump off. I mean, there are t- usually when I would search a month's worth of articles on the Houston Chronicles archives, I get over a hundred articles. At this point, I'm maybe getting ten, and then there were mm. a couple times where I'd maybe get a hundred for the whole season. Things just really dropped off really fast. It's unfortunate. And honestly, coming into 2005, especially because this really is officially the end of that previous era. I think the doors shut completely. We're going to move on and try to do something new. And that kicks off in 2005. After enduring their first season with losing record, the Comets would finally be in lottery uh, range. They land the fifth selection in the 05 draft. It's their first single-digit pick since selecting Tina Thompson with the first overall pick in the inaugural draft eight years previous. And this pairs with a bevy of roster changes. It becomes clear the organization's moving on from re- trying to regenerate success of the past era. So it's, or at least it would, you know, obviously seem at the time. In February, the Comets signed four-time All-Star Tari Phillips. And a month later... Arcane agrees to return to the roster. So it looks like there's some momentum picking up and that is not the end. We're about to start the season, but that is not the end of fun moves for the 05 comments. It gets really interesting. You guys will enjoy it. Uh, April 16th. Um, this peaks a little bit. Actually, I might have my years off. Crap. I do. Sorry. The, the, the fun thing does happen actually a little bit later, but this one's fun. This one's fun. April 16th. This does peak a little bit for them at this point when the Comets take U of H standout Sancho Little with the fifth pick in the draft. Ooh. I don't have any complaints about this pick. This might have been the best player in the draft. 05 is a, a bit of a tough It's a low. Draft. It's a lull. Um, yeah. But Sancho was a great pick. She's a local U of H. She was a real standout. She was popular. It really did make a lot of sense. I see why they went with that with five. And of course, these moves all are hoped to be key for a season as Thompson uh, is also missing the year. She misses a bulk of the season after giving birth to her first child. So Sancho made a lot of sense uh, to bolster, you know, front court support. A lot of that makes a lot of sense. And the comments at the time seem prepared to contend for a top spot. But here's where I might wax a little controversial, because this feels like a time where it might actually be a smart play to ease up and look out for another top draft pick next season as we're waiting for Thompson to come back to full force. I'm not a tanking guy, but if there was a time, this feels like this. This is a time when you kind of look at each other and go, Hey, (laughs) yeah. Like maybe like if it did, exist, maybe, maybe I miss a pass. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I dribble it off my foot. Yeah. Because Oh, six is a fairly strong draft. It's, it's not one of when we listed drafts in our W list episode recently, it wasn't in any of our top lists, but it was a pretty solid draft. And obviously we'll talk about the next, you know, in the next season, they could have had a chance at some real talent, but 
they decide to do what noble teams do, which is we play to win. We're going to try to win. And let's see how that goes. Uh, in July of 05, the Comets actually have a solid start. They kick off 10 and 5 heading into the All-Star break. Uh, the All-Star game featuring Swoops, who would take the MVP of the game, as well as Michelle Snow. We talked about Michelle Snow getting some All-Star nods. Uh, hey. She plays in that game. At this point, though, it, this is where we start to see a lot of the off-court motions moving along. I, I mean, think about it. We're in 2005. The story ends in 2008. So it starts to make sense. Reports begin to surface of concerns in the front office when the Comets released their mid-season metrics and showed that their average attendance had officially cut fully in half from what they'd seen in 2000. In 2000 Ooh. is when they were averaging around 12,000 tickets per game. They're now sitting at around 6,000 per game. Not only a concern due to low numbers, but the recent move from the Compact Center to the larger downtown Toyota Center meant the loss was contributing to a much higher price point for the organization. Let's call back to the very beginning of this episode. Les Alexander is having to fork over a little more coin for the Toyota Center because they had to, to give up tax value to get the stadium in general. You then have a team that dips a bit in success, and with that is a dip in ticket prices. There's going to be a bit of a cause for concern. I think it's just kind of a natural... It's stupid, but it's an economical thing. You know, we've all seen it in different places, one or another. That said, I don't know if it's fun to talk economics, so I'll keep going unless you guys have like I like economics, plus you know, if you guys have supply demand <laughs> model discussions, if you guys have some Keynesian <laughs> theories you want to talk about, I don't know. Kyle was um, about to like unclasp a notebook and be like, I was I was wondering like, when we were going to get to this. Did discussion. you say budget? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's flipping. He's flipping the like Austrian economic switch on the side of his head. That he's like, let's do this. Um. <laughs> So, I don't want to derail. <laughs> let's talk about the value of gold. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's jump to August of 05. The comments respond quickly over the following two weeks. First, Thompson's return in July of 20. I lied. I told you guys 2006 was when the fun thing happens. It actually happens here. Sorry. I'm going to cut myself <laughs> off. The okay. comments respond quickly to they have a positive record. Things get negative when when things surface about their attendance. And two things really kick off that help bolster energy. One is Thompson's return to the roster July 21st. It's a loss against the Mystics. Uh, but, you know, nice to have one of your perennial All-Stars back. The second thing happens just days later. The comics make another effort to bolster their roster and bolster attendance as they're trying to get some momentum coming into the playoffs. As they send Adrian Goodson... Kristen Rasmussen and a first round draft pick to the Charlotte Sting in exchange for Don Staley. Staley, the step back three at the buzzer. Don Staley. Kick out in the corner for Don, who continues to stroke the three. Don again. Top of the key against Melvin. Sideline left Smith. Low left Staley. Catch turnaround shot. Good. In the lane. Kick out Staley. 4 3. Good. Staley back the other way. Pulls up for the three and hits it. Well, John Staley is taking over. Oh, snap. So at this point, Rebecca Lobo's long retired, actually. And, 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 you know, she joined the team in 02. In 2003, she played one season for the Connecticut Sun, which I think was kind of a give back to the Upper East community know where she's from. I knew that, but I didn't know. 
Houston. How did I never yeah. recognize that she played and this Houston is, for a season? And this is a little bit different for Staley because this isn't so much one of those types of, oh, someone trying to relive in their career. This is a player being brought in because we want to make a playoff run. And she is pretty pivotal in this, in this postseason. Um, however, this is yet another symptom of the end of the story to me because this is a huge p- example of some of the comments did a lot during this time, which is focus on short-term strategy over a long-term strategy. If you're noticing, they're giving up a lot of draft picks to pull mm-hmm. in notable players. And they uh, haven't landed well on their draft picks like in the last couple of seasons anyway. Exactly. So I can see them being like, you know what? The draft isn't the way to do this. Let's just see who's proven yeah. and go with that. I get it. But yeah, like it's not a long, it's not a strategy that's going to pay off long term. But, but the thing that sucks is when they seem to be out of the running is when the best drafts are happening. It, it's really that's the timing. Of, it's just the timing of it. That's really tough. That said, they make a blockbuster trade for Staley. It was, it was really the talk of the time of the season and switching into later August. Well, all this goes on. The Comets momentum does level off, believe it or not. They finished regular season 19 and 15. This does net them the third seed in the Western Conference. Pits them against the defending champion Seattle Storm in the first round. Dudes can't catch a break. Oof. That's uh, rough. Yeah, it's tough. That said, uh, let's walk through the series. This is like the most game on game we might talk this whole episode. So September 3rd, after dropping game one on the back of a phenomenal performance from Lauren Jackson, the Comets in game two erased a double digit deficit. And seal the win off of a late score and steal from Don Staley. Staley again. Oh, Don Staley. How wonderful. One of the great players ever in the history of the women's game. So, so Don gets a late uh, score. She steals to prevent Seattle from responding. And they win an exciting game two. Game three is the most perihelion you're going to see of this team throughout all of uh, the rest this, of the episode. third episode. Um it's the most we've really seen in these down years with four players scoring double figures. They hold Sue Bird and Lauren Jackson to a combined six for 22 from the field. And then they lock Ouch. in a 17 point victory and net the Comets, their first and only playoff series win of this era. And in doing Ooh. so bump out the defending champions. That is one bright spot in what seems to be just a gradual decline this entire way. <laughs> this was fun. And if you read the articles, you would think they won the chip all over again. It was just one of those <laughs> things where they were like, finally, we're back. Let's do it. Let's go. The Comets finally draw iron after a five-year drought. And that's quickly followed by Swoops receiving her third MVP award. Wow. Could this be the return of of the Comets dynasty is this their return to destiny? No, I'm just it waiting isn't. for the next. It's not. I was gonna say I'm it waiting for the punchline it's here so where they just it. get rocked because they run into the surging Monarchs. They get swept out of the Western Conference Finals, Ugh. and the Monarchs move on to win their sole championship over the Connecticut Sun. The freaking Monarchs have a title, which is great. I mean, te- teacher getting a title is awesome, but poor Connecticut Sun. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> I, knowing what we know about the Connecticut Sun. Um, this, this will be the first near miss of many. <laughs> truth, <laughs> truth. And, uh, yeah. So, so fun for the monarchs, but again, excuse me as I wait for a yawn, this would happen. <laughs> and I know Jason, he's not going to cut that and everyone's going to have to know that happened, but 
it's all, all right. love. It's all love. <laughs> Guys, let's talk. Let's this talk. is W I, history uncut. This, unedited. This, this might feel a little too meta communication, but like, is this, is this interesting at all? Are we going anywhere right now? I, I feel like I'm just like checking boxes. No, this but, is good. We, like, I feel like, the, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. The first two episodes, we had a lot more to respond to, yeah. like in a more excited, energetic way. This is like, very informative. I'm riveted. Yeah. I'm excited. This, I'm going to go back and listen to this episode a couple times. I just, I don't know what else to say. I will say 2006 like, is am, where am the I, nails, am I right? the nails really <laughs> start to hit the coffin pretty hard in 06. So this okay. might be a good point to really That's, stop and just say like, from this point on, do you guys start to see kind of where a lot of the breadcrumbs that lead to where this story ends? Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't have, uh, you know, I try to be witty, but like, you know, the comets are evaporating basically into thin air after this. And it's like, like, obviously the groundwork for all of that is being laid right now, but there's, it's still, you heard me last episode say, I, I want them back. It's still a, you know, a tragedy to lose a team like this that, that immediately established itself as a, it would, uh, I don't know how to say this without Steve celebrating, but it would be like if the NBA didn't have the Celtics anymore. And all we knew about the Celtics was like, oh, yeah, the NBA became what it was because of, you know, the 60s era Celtics. And we don't that's not a team that we talk about anymore. And we've, we've moved on like that. That sort of thing doesn't usually happen. Like the NHL, yeah. the NFL, the historical franchises have the staying power. You know, those are, I'm trying to think of any other those are the teams with the American history. leagues have a team like this. I mean, I mean, the Brooklyn Dodgers moved, but like they're still the Dodgers. Yeah, they still exist. Know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very rare for a team in a league that's just beginning, a team that establishes I mean, itself to suddenly not be a part of the league moving forward. I mean, you have teams whose like their heyday was the fifties. You know, you have like no, but really, back in the day, the Browns were really dominant. It's like okay, and you have you know like the Montreal Canadiens who have the record for the most Stanley Cups, but they mm. were bulk in bulk well before our births. You know, and so it's um. One of those things where you see that, but it's hard to say like you have that team who, who is the first great dynasty who really set yeah, a tone the for the legacy league, team. Yeah. And there's nothing. And that's, what's crazy. That That's what makes this downfall pretty, pretty depressing. It's just how quickly things go off the rails. But as you start to just look at how things got managed, it sort of makes sense because the, it was just, there were too many red pill, blue pills and the wrong color got just kept getting chosen. It's a tough spot to be in. Um, we're believe it or not going to be talking even less basketball the next several minutes. But I, I think, you know, like I said, I think this is really when you start to get that, that deep, a feeling downhill. Uh, let's head into 2006, the 2006 season in February, as is tradition at this point, the WNBA landscape changes again with the announcement of the expansion, Chicago sky. Yay. About time we saw the sky. Yeah. Sky time. Chicago has a team. This is cool. I'm excited for a team in Chicago. And obviously, I this is 14 years ago, so I'm excited. You, you get it. You get it. Uh, the comments again see a myriad of ups and downs with uh, their roster. They re-signed Don Staley for another season after they lose Ar- Janeth Arcane to retirement. Uh, which, you know, end of the arcane era. She really came out of this being one of my absolute favorite players. 
Um, I've watched a lot of Arcane I'm tape. St- I love I love me some Janeth Arcane now. She's like, I'm she a just big rules. Fan. Yeah, if if like it, there's unfortunately not nearly enough film of Janeth online. There's a good amount of highlight tapes, but man, we could stand for so much more. One day the WNBA is just going to give up and open up the archives for us, and and we'll get a chance. And that's one of those players that I'm going to have my my eyes on completely because she was so much fun to watch play. Um, it was such a pivotal part of those championships, even though it goes, it goes well unspoken. It was exciting to see her get that play starting in the all-star game and, and have her moment there. But yeah, I mean, just a legend in so many different ways. And also, in you know, this leads to another irrelevant draft pick or draft because they traded away their first round pick to pick up Staley. So we don't really get any excitement there. This season is is fairly dismal for the most part, uh, but they do pick up at some point. We're going to skip all the way to July. It's run from February to July. Um, episode two took almost two hours. We may, we may not even crack 90 minutes here, so we'll see. Uh, but in July of 06, uh, the Comets, you would say, overperformed to a point. They head into the All-Star break with a 12-9 and record, along with sending, get this, four players to the All-Star game. Jeez, oh my four gosh. At this point in their history, they have four All-Stars. Swoops, Staley are starting. Thompson and Michelle Snow make the reserve team. They have four All-Stars. They have a third of of the Western Conference All-Star team. That's just... Uh, that's... Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. There's, it, I, I, like, I'm amazed and so disappointed. And it's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. I'm both. Like, I just, yeah, I don't know how to yeah. feel right now. The Comets, um, yeah, I mean, they come in here with some momentum. They're playing well. They have a bevy of all-stars. They seem to be picking up momentum. And that 12-9 comes off. They had a good string of wins coming into that break, which really helped them out. And if you thought, after looking at it, that the Comets would catch a break and ride this momentum into a very competitive playoff run, have you not been paying attention Heading into the break, that's, that's like a pause for laugh moment. That's not going to get laughs, but it's whatevs. Uh, heading into the I was break. Like, yes. The well, it's hard to, like, yeah. Of course we feel bad, but it's also like, all right, everything broke your way for four years, even though we know it didn't. It actually didn't all break their way, but they were able to capitalize for four straight years. So yeah. now it's almost like this weird karmic response, like years where they should have been good and make yeah. deep runs. It's like, no, you already you cashed in. Yeah. You know more than you should have, so yeah. it's got a probability has it's to take have over some, at some balance. Point. Be They're brought like back team, into the universe, like they bought out, they bought Park Place and Broadway and all of the green properties right at the start, and so at first they were and didn't, but then they, they didn't were, have any money for. They were sucking like, in all, and, and then there were other hotels. teams that were like, "I'm just gonna slowly get, I'm gonna get the orange and that light blue corner, and, the and then all my railroads." <laughs> and then I'm going to end up running you bankrupt. And that's kind of what this feels like. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like in this scenario, hotels. The, the sun are actually the team that have just been like, we've almost won it with the railroads every freaking year. That's almost. What, yeah, they're the real, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. They're, they're the, the railroad team. team. And every time it seems like they're down and out, they also grab the free parking prize. <laughs> like they're that squad. Um, which I guess is an unwritten rule. Some team is free parking and some don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that'll be a part of our other um, weekly podcast, Monopoly Monday, where we talk about Monopoly every Monday. <laughs> uh, good, t- good times. 
Uh, it was Monopoly Monthly, but there was demand. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was demand. So obviously, I the end of the t- 2006 season does does have a pretty key kickoff because there is a tiny bit of a fib. They do have four All Stars. Only three of them played. Michelle Snow made the reserve team because right into the All Star break, Tina Thompson. Uh, would break her foot or uh, uh, I believe break a bone in her leg and would miss the rest of the season. Mm. Michelle also took over the all-star game. They have no Tina Thompson the rest of the year. Um, they end up finishing July at 16 and 12 and barely nab a playoff spot. So they hold on pretty tightly to a playoff spot. Um, however, we still have a little more season to talk about. They'd lose four of their last six games. So not only do they barely get a playoff spot, they stumble pretty heavily. One of those games is a double OT heartbreaker to losing 111 to 110 to the Mercury. And it's not really notable for the loss. It's more so notable for Dennis Rossi scoring 47 points, which at the time was the WNBA single game scoring record. Cool stuff. I've actually been thinking about doing a W history just about like the best scoring games of all time. We might do that sometime. Let's That'd see. That'd be fun. Yeah, it could be fun. Uh, cause that'd be a fun one to talk about. Uh, pretty awesome stuff and really like heavily kicked off the DT legend. I mean, from that point on, it was really something, uh, they end up closing out the official season with an 18 and 16 record and they'd be swept out of the playoffs by the Monarchs in the first round again. And they would never again see playoff basketball in the city of Houston. Oh, that's so sad. No more uh, raising the roof. No more. The roof is officially unraised. <laughs> it is lowered. We have a low roof now. That sounds like something that I'm trying to think of a character in a TV show that would say that. It was just like, my roof is now unraised. Like it's like, <laughs> like the Todd in Scrubs might say it or something. Just like, no. Um, anyway, that was a weird. That was weird. Sorry, everyone. My apologies to everybody. Uh, November of 2006, before we, we move on officially to 07. I do want to call out what what I what might be a unique symptom. Maybe this is something only I think, but I feel like you guys might scent like might feel this as much as I do. Um in November of 2006, the Houston Dynamo would win the MLS Cup in their inaugural season. And obviously, that. this is really good for the city of Houston, especially to win a title with no trash cans involved. You know, it's in the post Comets era, you know, to have a non-cheating championship seems kind of nice for Houston. Um, this becomes, in my opinion, a detriment to the Comets. They're in desperate need of positive attention and they're losing attention to the city's new darling. It's almost as if they have like the Comets kicked off inaugural year, won a championship, won four in a row. And then the Dynamo will come in and win the MLS Cup and kind of become Houston's new fun toy. If that makes sense. Am I anywhere with that claim? I I I don't hate the take. I feel I like there's some cities, and I'm not saying Houston is definitely this. There's a lot of cities that have a level of selective memory with their sports teams. And it's the, to the point of like, I honestly feel this way about the Bay Area. Bay Area fans can't focus on more than one team at a time. It's either right, the Niners, the right Giants, now they're Niners or the fans. Warriors. They don't even realize that the Giants exist. And before that, they were Warriors fans. And before that, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Giants Orange. And they almost have this like selective memory, like one team at a time. And Houston's not necessarily that, that, but I feel like they were able to muster all this energy for the comments, and and a lot of that capacity in that bank shifted to the Dynamo very heavily at this time. 
And it helps that the matches at a time in the comments are just not as, as good as they were. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that having the dynamo, I do think that because it's not one of the four, like big, you know, three or four leagues and, you know, having a team that's new and exciting and having the team, you know, a, a team win. Isn't it? Here's, I wonder if there's any other cities in history that have had two of their teams to inaugural win champions? the championship in their inaugural seasons. Yeah. That's something I thought. Um, I thought Kyle was just going to stop after cities and I was like, that's just really funny out of context. Like, <laughs> any, are there any other cities? No, you're are right. There though, any? Like, in history. Yeah. Other cities. Uh, but you're right. I mean, getting a getting a team and then almost immediately getting a championship is like a surefire way to make everyone hate you forever. Because um, remember, Vegas got a hockey team and made its run, and everyone pretty much decided, like, all right, so we hate Vegas, right? Like, you all hate them. I I, I liked them because I decided to be a fan of them. But but just in general, like hockey fans are like, no, that's not how it works. Like, you're supposed to you don't get to just walk in and do this, and yeah, you should suffer like a crushing playoff loss first, and then. At long last, your story arc should end with a championship like you, you know, <laughs> fought for. It shouldn't just be like, we debuted a team and uh, we're the best. They won so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It feels yeah. cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as fun. It's it's almost like, a, I don't know, your friend who you know. It's uh, We talked about community already. It's that episode when Troy makes Abed play basketball. <laughs> and I was just like, we play basketball, it was fun. And it's just like, he keeps beating him and it's really fun. That's almost what it feels like in that case. It's just like, no, you're not supposed to. Come on. I do this more and this is dumb. Yeah. Sometimes it has that sense about it. But I just feel like this dynamic with the Comets and the Dynamo, it's it's a classic, like, Woody Buzz Lightyear scenario. That's just how it feels to me. Mm-hmm. You know. And Houston is Andy, I guess. Maybe Bo Peep, but really, I think it's Andy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have time to cast everyone. the The modern day Rockets are Mr. Potato Head. I think that's clear. That's. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. You guys know. How I, you guys already know. How I feel about the NBA Rockets, but um, yeah. So I've noticed that as kind of a side effect, and this is the type of stuff that plays a role. I think from this point on, it's a little less basketball stuff and it's a lot of non-basketball pieces. Let's head into 2007. The 2007 season. Um, this was the year that Kyle and I became men. Uh, yeah. In, in that we, we this was our, the year we graduated from high graduated school. Graduated from high school. <laughs> I mean, within the next year to year and a half, I'd be a resident of Houston at this point, actually, which is pretty That's true. I entered right around the, the end of the story, which is interesting. Uh, January 2007. So in October of 06, Les Alexander would announce that the Houston Comets would officially be up for sale. He does know his intentions to give preference to local investors in an effort to keep the team in Houston, but will be moving on from the investment that once was extremely fruitful. It is also coupled with the folding of the sting and the sale of the LA sparks. I want to highlight the spark sale. I'm reading this directly out of an article I found. Um, out of I want uh, I believe this was out of the the L.A. Times. Um, so the new majority owners of the Sparks in this sale quote are Kathy Goodman, a high school English and social studies teacher, 
and Carla Christofferson, an attorney, an attorney and former Miss North Dakota. Oh so my a pageant word. queen and a high school teacher by the L.A. Sparks. <laughs> and this is before they get they then get bought out by cool, cool, Magic cool, Johnson cool, cool. and Co. But like, oh this is word. what we're talking about. Like, where are WNBA thirty for thirties? Like, I want to meet these people. <laughs> like, Seriously. screw the Last Dance, and I get to see every great NBA player who ever lived. I want to. I want. I want Kathy Goodman and Carla Christopherson on a camera, and I want to <laughs> ask them questions. That's all I want. That's all I want. Uh, keeping through to January, uh, seeing the writing on the wall, Van Chancellor officially announces his retirement, ending a 10-year tenure with the Comets that included four championships and three Coach of the Year awards, as well as the mantle currently as the winningest coach in WNBA history. It's right around this point in February that the Comets are officially acquired. But actually, you know, let's stop really quick. We'll, we'll stop before we do this. Um, we should talk Van Chancellor for a second. Um, this was a guy who was technically the fourth option as a hire. Yeah. Like way down the line and almost yeah. like didn't get it because of a plane. Right. Yeah. Like, like well, almost didn't get, well, he, he announced it. He, he would have been ready for the draft, but wasn't because he couldn't get a plane ride back to Mississippi in time because <laughs> he wanted <laughs> yeah. to tell his team in person that he was taking the job. Um, there's a, a bit of a, a mix up here. So, so Van Chancellor would pretty soon after this uh, be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He would, you know, he received that he coached Team USA. He's considered one of the elite coaches in WNBA history. There is an argument here, though. He would win the first championships with really the first great roster. A couple players that were almost seemingly handed to him wasn't able to spark that again post that era. Where do you view Van Chancellor in terms of his value of a coach? You can have the hot takes if you want hot takes. I'm just curious what you guys think. I I think that Logan made this comment that in the first episode that it, at some point you could have had literally anybody coaching the Comets and they might have won the championship just because of how loaded their roster were, was. Mm-hmm. I um that being said I also think there is a little bit of I think that certain coaches you have to be able to manage a lot of personalities. Look at yeah. Gino, coach Gino at at UConn. The dude brings in some of the t- very best of the best every single year in recruits and then he has to manage players that have been the top dog not only on their team but in the country. And make them play together, mm. you know. And I think that there's something to that. You have to be able to manage personalities. And I think I would love to have seen him work with Swoops and uh, and Thompson and Cooper, and like really see. Well, especially Swoops and Cooper because they were the two that mm-hmm. seemed, at least from the episode two, to really have kind of that. I don't know. It's kind of a, a little bit of a a grudge or, or not necessarily a ton of love between the two of Certainly them. Certainly, I would love to see yeah. him. I would love to see him like work with them so that they could put aside their differences and and you know that's, win so some. That's what hardware. I was going to point out though was like I, I did make that take on an episode about how like you could have one of us out there coaching that first year and 
and you know you could probably go all the way but i i think we all agree like you can't accident your way to four straight championships like we're all on on that page like we and like we've also yeah we like chancellor as a coach we've heard that clip of him talking to kim Perrot and yeah. and like he he even recognized at you know a critical situation in the finals when he was drawing up a play and his players weren't responding and then Kim Parat, you know, gave kind of the the like we can do this speech, and they did yeah. respond. He and let her he have was, the floor. He was a good enough people person to recognize what his players needed, so that you know when when the beef in the locker room did happen, when they had, you know lost their second game of every season and things started melting down, which is hilarious. Um, he he obviously did enough behind the scenes to keep things together to make those four runs, and I think you know if. Uh, if they would have lost in the finals one of those times, maybe things blow apart. But mm-hmm. because they kept winning and because he was, he, he, my point is he was obviously a good enough coach to deserve every, you know, every praise we can give him, um, in, you know, for, again, four rings is four rings and team yeah. USA and all that stuff. Like, I think it's totally earned because you don't, I, you don't just happen upon that. You know, yeah. you have to be involved to keep it from falling completely apart. I was going to call it the people example because I think his experience, his relationship with Parat speaks heavily to that. A lot of these blow up moments with Cynthia Cooper were squashed pretty quickly with these closer meetings with Chancellor, who I think was able to handle the situation as well. Another thing, though, that we've talked about before, too, think about how quickly this story could have been the Liberty story. And how oh, easily absolutely. this could be a three championship story for Liberty. And you look at some of these close finals bouts that they had. I can't help but feel like Chancellor is one of the things that pushes them over the top. And that's a huge piece as well. Do, do I say that his decisions were a huge part of the Comet's demise? I think it was multi-symptomatic. I also think that him getting the nod to coach Team USA was a strong point for for him there. The end, the resume speaks for itself, but it is an interesting case to say, like, was this a flash in the pan thing or was this, you know, on the NBA spectrum, we're going to have this conversation with Steve Kerr potentially for a long time. Like this, if if the Warriors don't yeah. find their way back into prominence, are we talking about Steve Kerr, one of the greatest coaches of all time? Or are we talking about Steve actually, Kerr, the guy yeah. that held together a stacked roster for five years? I, I actually, I, I didn't know whether to bring it up or not, but in talking about Chancellor, I had a very similar I, I think a lot of coaches could have coached the Warriors to one or two championships. I think a lot fewer coaches could have made the Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green locker room work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see that as well. And it also comes down to that idea of do you, when you talk about stacked rosters, do you then take a little credit away from, you know, Cheryl Reeve for having a stacked Minnesota roster? Obviously, us watching those teams, no. <laughs> Uh, I think it's pretty clear that she know like she coaches at an elite level. The Gino example is perfect. I think for Kyle is to say, are you going to stand here and tell me that Gino Aram is not a good coach? Are you going to stand here and tell me that Pat summit wasn't a great coach with the great players that she had? You know, I think mm-hmm. it, it goes hand in hand. So no, I thought it was an interesting story, but I, I, I just, I love Van Chancellor. I, his personality, he's one of the most quotable coaches I've ever encountered. Uh, his, I'm a country boy, but I'm not a dumb country boy. He's one of my favorite coach uh-huh. quotes ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he's really one of those types. And I also loved, you talk about people person. I've known few coaches that so like just 
I'm trying to think of the word I can't think of, but like just doted on their play. Like no one complimented his players more than him uh, compared to most coaches I've seen. I mean, he spent all of his interviews doting on how effective and, and how, you know, just his amazement and what he got to see from his team. And that doesn't just include Cooper and Thompson and swoops. I mean, up and down the roster. I mean, when he walked out of the, 99 championship, he called out Kim Pratt and Janeth or Kane. He's like, we don't win the title without those two. And I, I've always appreciated that with him. It's something I wish we saw a little bit more. I'm totally comfortable with coaches getting away from their speak. We went out there as a team and we fought hard every now and again. It's okay to say they were great. And I think it's okay to say that. And, and, and that was always a lot of fun. So it's sad to see that that era ends, but I think a lot of it is writing on the wall. Let's go ahead and move forward. So this is February 1st, 2007. The Comets officially are acquired by Hilton Koch, the, and I'm quoting the Houston Chronicle directly, the, quote, chainsaw-waving furniture impresario, close quote. Hilton here, Hilton Furniture and Mattress, announcing the big price cut. We're cutting prices on wood bedrooms and dining rooms for a limited time. Oh yes, oh, that my one. word. The, the owner of Koch Furniture. I was wanting to make yeah. sure that I had the right yeah, featured. Had he's, the right fe- he's featured here. on Conan O'Brien. He's famous for <laughs> chainsawing like bed like bed knobs and uh the he was the i call him the that's a fact jack furniture owner that was his like trademark we're cutting prices that's a fact jack that's probably a soundbite we'll use but uh yeah so so this uh very eccentric and energetic furniture owner in his announcement pressure koch made his declaration we go way back to the les alexander declaration from part one uh koch says quote we're going to do what they say can't be done uh, close quote. And I got to say something, Koch. You got a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> yeah. I uh. I didn't know if it did. Smoking the Bandit. I just didn't know if anyone caught that. But <laughs> it was just a direct this song. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. We'll move on. We'll move on. It's fine. It wasn't funny. It's cool. Um, two weeks later. <laughs> Sorry, I've never seen. I've never seen Smoking in the Bandit. <laughs> that's, a, that's a song from the movie. Um, okay. Two weeks later, Koch announces the promotion of longtime assistant coach Carlene Thompson as full-time head coach. This came with actually a lot of positive response, um, not only from the team, but from the Cynthia Coopers and, and the Cheryl Swoops types who knew Carlene, had seen her coach in the assistant level, and very excited to see what she could pull off. So uh, this was a pretty cool move at the time, at least. I want to call something out. Van Chancellor um, announced she did, he didn't just step down as coach of, of the – Comments. You guys remember the nomenclature? He retired. That's interesting because February 1st in 07, Van Chancellor accepts the head coaching position at LSU, uh, taking over for four-time Final Four coach Pokey Chapman. Technically, I guess he technically takes over for interim coach Bob Starkey. Um, it was in the 07 season or, the, yeah, the around that time that Chapman was fired for a misconduct. We've, I think we've talked about that previously as a group. Uh, and, and Starkey took over in the interim and Chancellor takes over for the team that retains nine seniors, including all American SEC player of the year and contract holdout aficionado Sylvia Fowles. <laughs> so he's got, he's got a, a all, all American senior and Sylvia Fowles, a great SE, you know, a great LSU team 
just barely missed on also coaching Simone Augustus, which would have been sweet. So uh, we're skipping all the way from February to August again. So that tells a lot of the story. I'm going to go ahead and keep this one merciful, guys, um, and make this one quick. Swoop suffers a bulging disc in the third game of the season and misses the rest of the year. The Comets lose oh their first gosh. 10 games of the season is, and finish the year 13 and 21. Oh, uh, it just gets worse. <laughs> Remember, this was a team. It's Logan already like, called it out. This was a team that lost their second game more than halfway into the 98 season, and it almost was like the locker room was going to blow up. It was a crisis. <laughs> it was a it was a crisis. <laughs> This is, you know, when they say, like, take the bandaid off quickly, this is like the slowest, like, stuck <laughs> to you, stuck to the hair on yeah. your arm bandaid that you've ever experienced. Like, it just is a slow decline. Like, the worst 10 game stretch I think this team ever had was they went five and five once. And ever since then, they never were worse than seven and three in that first four years. And, and now they just dropped 10 in a row. Oh, and 10 the first to start 10. out the year. They go 13 and 21, which oh. I guess 13 and 11 any year is somewhat respectable. An important note on yeah. this, though, I actually think this is pretty pivotal. Um, considering this is a dismal year, the Comets still would hold playoff contention until the final three games of the year. So with three games left How? is when they finally get kicked out of the playoffs. It was a crazy year in the standings. They go on. They would actually go on to win two out of those three final games. And I consider those two games to be the final blow for the franchise. And I'll explain why in just a minute. Uh, just a quick note as we end 2007, um, Chancellor is officially inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. In October of 07, the WNBA announces the birth of the Atlanta Dream. And we get pretty close. We're, we start, we're starting to get really close to the WNBA as we see it today. And this takes us officially into 2008. The 2008 season. On March, uh, or March 4th of 08, uh, this marks free agency time for the comments. And would open up free agency for their two marquee players at this point, Swoops and Thompson. Thompson signs a one-year extension with the team. Swoops also signs a one-year contract with the Seattle Storm. Ooh. So this is the official end of the uh, Comets era with, with Swoops. And this leads to one of my favorite retrospective questions we're going to do now, because both of them are officially off the roster. So before we move on, the Houston Comets. Are they Cynthia's team or are they Cheryl's team? Go. <laughs> I think Cheryl and I had the same goals. We wanted to be the best. She wanted to be the star. I wanted to be the star. But at the end of the day, the most important thing to the Houston Comets, we wanted to be champions. <sighs> Go, Logan. Because <laughs> whatever you argue, I've got the other side. <laughs> All right. Here's my my inclination is to say Cheryl. Uh, she was the first player in the, like she was the first player. She was three time MVP. Um, I I just I don't know. Like I know everything you're gonna say for Cooper, <laughs> but yeah, I I mean four time champion Cooper is a four time champion, six time All Star. I don't know what Cooper's numbers are, but probably pretty similar. Um. You know, five first team awards. I I think it was Swoops' team. But I think if they would <laughs> I think if they don't win I don't know. I think she would have been the first to bail if if they if if things would have gone downhill You sooner. think Swoops would have been? 
I don't know. This is hard. I don't want to go first. <laughs> I, what, what do you I, think you, I'll say has, I think Swoops I'll had say a this. better Comet's career by a, a morsel. Yeah, I think it's, I would say it's Cheryl's team. When I think about the Houston Comets, the first name that comes to mind is Cheryl Swoops. Um, that being said, Cooper, I think Cooper, I think that Cooper might have been like the, the headline star, like in those early form, like, like the big, their big years, their big four years. I think Cooper, takes the headlines just ever so slightly. But I think that that's just because if she wasn't that, I don't know how, like, it just seemed like she, her personality was that alpha type personality. It's like, it's mine or it's nobody's she did, kind of it. You she know did what I mean? command the, she won the, the finals MVP every one of those years that like we, yeah. we know and the comments. she was the league MVP, like three of the four yeah, or was 90, it all 97 four? and 98. Yeah. She was league MVP. Uh, but like the four, everybody knows like the Comets won four in a row. Every one of those and four, she, she was the finals MVP. She was the finals MVP. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. It's, it's, That's tough. it comes down to like, how do you, you value can make an argument for both, but I think the career run, yeah. I think that Swoops is the, she's the first player like signed to the Houston, to sign to, to I the I think Comets. she was the first player signed by anybody. Right? Like, well, didn't she? Yeah, she might have been. I think no. I know she, Lobo, and Swoops, technically uh, Leslie were all kind of all three together, was, weren't they? Yeah, she technically was third. I want to say I might be wrong in this, but I believe Lobo and Leslie. You can argue went one and two, and then Swoops was right after. But the when the league was officially announced and the teams were officially announced, they were all locked She's, in. Right. So I think you could easily claim they're the first three signed. They're all three. Yeah, yeah the first three like together. I don't know, man. I, I think it's Swoops' team. Um, but I will say this. I don't think the, I don't think Houston wins any championships if not for Cooper. Yeah. That's an interesting case too. This is where I'll, I'm going to be fun really quick and just make a very pie in the sky take for Thompson. Let's do it. No Comet played more games. As a comment than Tina Thompson, no comment scored more points as a comment than Tina Thompson. I want to say she has the record for rebounds as well as a comment. Historically, and a lot sense. of this because she swoops, played that extra season sat. and Swoops was out for a couple of years with injury. Right. So she technically has that going for her. Well, I understand. Pregnant, pregnant in that first year, right? Yeah. And then was out with injury later in her career. Hall of so Fever, that makes sense. Oh, right. Up until fairly recently was the top scorer of all time. I think legitimately visual face. Like, honestly, when I think of the comets by name, I think of swoops. When I visualize the comets, I look at, I think of Tina Thompson. I think of the lipstick. I think of lipstick. Yeah. Hard, hard nosed <laughs> Tina Thompson. Like, that's kind of how I envision it. So I get that to a point. I understand. Like, the hardware accolades, not there. Um, she also, uh, was in more all star games during the comets run than any other comet. So, like, it, it's one of those things where you can see all those claims. And it sort of can make sense, but I, I'm not saying this is a way to say like, oh, it's definitely them. This is definitely a Swoops v. Cooper discussion, but I also think it's fun to say Thompson gets gets a cut of that pie, potentially. So, gosh, that big three. Good gravy. <laughs> we talk about basketball so big good. threes, for heaven's sake. That's something. All right. So, uh, Thompson returns for the final season of didn't know it was the final season, of course, at the time. 
uh, Swoops officially sang with the Seattle Storm. I believe that's where she would retire, if I'm not incorrect. Um, and we then move into April of 08. The Comets again draw the fifth pick in the draft. And honestly, in one of the deepest drafts in, in at least recent history, the last several years. Um, and they end up selecting Rutgers' Matei Ejimon in the fifth. Ejimon, in her own right, a solid player. She would end up on the all-rookie team. However, I want to go back to what I talked about at the end of 06. The Comets win two of their final three games of that year. Should they have lost those games if they just mailed in those three games? Their record is within one of the bottom three records. They're one of the bottom three records there. And all three are within one game of each other. They joined the sparks in the sky, the sparks in the sky who drew the top picks in the draft. What this means is that if they lose those games, they are officially well in the running of potentially selecting Sylvia Fowles or Candace Parker. If there's anything and I'm not saying this would have happened. If there's anything that could have saved the Comets in their final year, it would have been Candace Parker. Candace Parker won the Rookie of the Year and the MVP in the same season, became a complete face. She was one of the most popular college players of all time, winning two championships at Tennessee. And in, you know, in the South, close to Texas, I think it would have been a, a tremendous fit and could have potentially bolstered the Comets' name. I honestly think winning those two games kept them out of that running and may have potentially written the end of the story, like written their last chapter is kind of how I feel about that. Again, am I just way off base when I say all that? No, I don't think you're way off base at all. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I, I, I think that there could have definitely been a new, a revamping, a re-energizing that could have salvaged I'll say this. I don't know if it could have salvaged it long term. I think it could have. I'll say I think it maybe extended extends in another year or two. Yeah. Extends another year or two. If if Candace Parker, let's say she bolsters uh, Thompson's level of play and they're able to go on a good run. Um, and maybe they find their way to a championship within two or three seasons. We may still be seeing the Comets today. Like, if they get to that level of success, I think there's a chance that we see that. But I think if there was any hope for keeping that pulse going, that was going to be it. And mm. uh, it didn't happen. And just for fun, let's go ahead and talk about who else they snubbed in this draft. Uh, with that pick at five, they also pass on Candace Wiggins, Crystal Langhorn, Essence Carson, Tamara Young, Allie Quigley, Leilani Mitchell, and, of course, Latoya Pringle. Uh, oh. they, <laughs> um, and again, Ajivon was an all rookie player. She had a very solid career, but I mean, you look at a lot of, play they had a lot of fun players that could have picked up. I don't know that anyone could have helped enliven anything back in there other than someone like a Candace Parker. That's just my opinion. Heading into May of 08, the Comets management announced moving the team from the Toyota center to the Reliant arena. That's now the NRG arena an 8,000-seat facility about 10 minutes away from downtown that honestly is a rodeo hall. It's primarily for rodeo. There actually were player complaints of, like, dust on the floor. It was not a good basketball arena uh, by any right, to be completely honest. In July of that year, the Comets lose their first five games. Um, well, I, I'm reviewing the season through July at this point. Again, this moves fast. The Comets lose... 
the first five uh, games of the season, they lose seven of their first eight, and they'd find their way back into playoff contention after winning five after winning five straight games right before the Olympic break. So it's 08, the Beijing Olympics. Uh, they head into the month long break, um, actually holding a potential solid roster seed in the Beijing Olympic as the Beijing Olympics hit. So there's a month long break. We basically don't see any basketball in the month of August. And it's in the month of August during that time that Hilton Koch Hilton do what they say can't be done. That's a fact. Jack Koch announces the comments will again be up for sale. And at the time, uh, the mayor's office in Houston immediately begins campaigning to seek out local buyers to help step up and keep the franchise in the city. So they are making very open efforts. There is groundswell. People want this team to live on. They want to keep things up. They want to find the right owner. The comments respond to this. Uh, dismal news, which by the way, you're feeling good. You're on a five game winning streak. You go into this break, you find out your team's getting sold. I think it's pretty natural. Morale is going to be low and the comps yeah. respond by losing their final five games and they miss out playoff contention and they end in their final season. This feels kind of cathartic with a 17, 17 record. There's something about, they had a huge rise. They had a huge fall. And then they end with a 500 record. It almost feels right. <laughs> um, alongside all of this, is what I think is the final official like symptom. I think this was the death knell for the team. And that is the 2008 landfall of Hurricane Ike. Uh, Hurricane Ike surges to shore on September 11th, 08. Oh, I forgot about this. Living in Houston at the time myself. Oh, my gosh. Uh, hits shore it's the, a literal disaster. <laughs> it, it hits shore of the 110 mile per hour winds. causes an estimated $30 billion in the Texas area alone. takes 84 lives. Uh, and that's just in the Texas area. That's not even talking about surrounding Gulf states. Obviously, there are a lot of real life impacts. That is what's most important in these scenarios. I'm not trying to make basketball into the biggest tragedy, but that's a lot of it. As a matter of fact, the end of the Comet season, the last several games were played uh, like in North Texas um, away from. I think it was actually at Texas State um, outside of like the evacuation area. Um, so their last games weren't even in Houston, which is kind of depressing. Obviously, there are a lot of real life impacts. An offshoot of this, however, is that several local enterprises who are already in the early stages of a recession are now in no position to make any major third party acquisitions. So teams that they felt they may have had a chance to to pull in and, and build some groundswell and buy off the team are now trying to deal with an early recession and they're trying to deal with recovering from a hurricane and getting their community back up and getting their business back in play. They're no longer in a place where they can buy things out. There was really no efforts of looking through putting the team in another market at all as well. And so with the city clearly focusing on rebuilding from Hurricane Ike on December 1st, 2008, uh, all of this attention is turned away from saving a storied basketball franchise. So on December 1st, the Houston Comets, home of four WNBA championships, five MVPs, 22 all-star nods, and seven members of the Basketball Hall of Fame officially closed their doors. The Comets had faded away. The team had folded the year before, and there was barely any evidence left of all the history they'd made. I look back and I think about the championships we won and the fun we had and the parties we had and the clubs we went to and the restaurants we ate at and the parades we had. You know, for Houston not to have a team anymore, 
it just almost makes it feel like that never happened. And I know it happened because I was a part of it and I lived it and I did those things. But for the comments to no longer be in existence is, is devastating to me. People love the WNBA solely because of the Houston Comets. I know that the WNBA is big business, but for us to not have a history, we don't have a place. I'm so sad right now. Like, this has been a wild ride to take over three episodes. And this last one has felt just different just because I knew going in, like I've been intrigued this entire time to just listen to like what the crud happened here. Like what, what went down, but like, it's just, it's just death by a thousand cuts. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't any one major thing that just like blew up the whole franchise. It's literally just little things here and there that just slowly ate away the franchise. And that just, it's just sad. <laughs> yeah. I sad. <laughs> it's it's uh, tough. Sorry, Logan, did I cut you off? No, 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 no. I I just everything Kyle just said, like it it just it doesn't happen. Like even even in the WNBA where you know it, they overexpanded a little bit, they closed some teams, some teams moved cities, but it just even in a league's infancy, you don't see the successful teams do this like the successful teams have the fans and they have the revenue and they have the staying power and it's it's just wild it, it's the reason we're doing the pod on them but it's just you know it's i don't know it's such a unique yeah we we started this all by you asking us how many teams in, in north american history had ever won four straight championships and and that hangs over this whole story like like because all the other teams that have done it are, you know, we know them and they're still there because I don't know. That's the sort of thing that endures for years and years. Like titles are forever. You don't have to ever defend, you know, the fact that, that you have a historically relevant franchise when you have titles. Um, and that that spans across all sports. So I don't know. I I'm glad the WNBA exists in its current form and is still so fun and has the twelve teams it has, but it's uh it's missing it's missing the Comets involvement and it's, it's, it is just very odd that they are not around. It really is. And I think a, a theme a phrase that I, I thought of a lot as I was looking through, I got to the end of the storyline and I just looked back through everything. And a line I kept hearing was like, not for a lack of trying. It's not like these guys phoned it in for eight years. They tried to make blockbuster moves, tried to draft effectively that you know they tried to situate themselves in situations to succeed. They fought for playoff seeds when it kind of made sense not to. And a lot of that it's tough how it's a quicksand scenario. It just felt like the more they tried to muscle through it, the harder it became for them to recover. And that's what makes the story so frustrating. It's just insane because if you hear a story about a team that goes on that type of a historic run, I think your natural reaction is that, well, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a forever franchise. You know, they're a staple. We'll never not see to this day, people who are outside of the league, who don't really follow the league. If you bring up the WNBA, the comets are going to come to mind. I know people who I've talked to in recent years who are shocked 
when I tell them that the Comets aren't currently a team. Because <laughs> their first memory of the league was this team that went four straight championships. Yeah. And See, like, I... I know you guys are with me on this too. Like we we miss the other two. Like we want the Rockers to come back, right? We love the look, we love the name, but you'd immediately be met with like, okay, but why? Why would you bring the Rockers back? The Comets almost seems like an automatic, like of course, of and the difference is the history. Like of course you would want the Comets back. Yeah, I think it's. I almost think that's like an unspoken caveat when people do that on Twitter or whatever, just like which team would you take back? And so everyone just has this like shifty eyed agreement, like, okay, obviously we all would, the comets are first. We all agree, but that notwithstanding, I'd certainly love to see, like, I'd love to see the sting uniform back in again. Mm. Right. Or I'd love to see a team yeah, back like- in Utah. I'd love to see a team back in Miami. And like, because that's the only way to make that discussion fun, because the discussion ends pretty quickly if you're being objective, which is, well, obviously the Comets. You know, it, the only other team I think you could argue is probably the Monarchs, because they have a chip and they don't exist. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I don't know. Man, the energy level Man, right now. What a ride. Like, I know it's like I did. It's hard because, like, usually we have pretty high energy and we, we're excited and talk. But like. I don't know. Like, I hope listeners are, yeah. I, I'm, I'm genuinely intrigued and I'm genuinely feel like I'm way better informed about this era of the WNBA. And I think that a lot of our listeners are like us and yeah. maybe aren't, you know, maybe haven't followed the league from its very beginning. And when they think Houston comments are like, yeah, like I heard they were really good. I don't, you know, I don't know much about I, them now. Something about the like, comments. I hope too. that this yeah. helps. Yeah. Something about the comments lifeline too is it does give you you almost naturally learn the early story arc of the league in itself. Uh because there's such a lifeblood of it that you really get this insight of this early league because I think about I've I've watched so much game film and I've read so many articles that I'm coming out of this and all I want to do is watch comments games and now I'm coming out of this like oh my gosh, I need to watch more Sparks games. And I need to watch Katie Smith on the shock. And like, it's like I said, like, even if literally, even if it was just the WNBA just needs to release just the 97 season for a while during the pandemic, right? Like we can see the last five years, people like, why can't we see all the other years? It's like, give us something else uh, because there's so much that you can glean from that to try to keep things a little bit light as we close things off. What would you say are some of your favorite when you look back at at this three episode and you know eleven year story arc of the Houston Comets? What are some of your favorite memories? When you think back on it, what are what are the memories you're going to like to have? <laughs> you guys already know mine, but I just want to reiterate uh, something that comes from episodes one and two, which is this Comets team was put together. By design and by accident to be to be great from <laughs> from the get go. Right. Like, like, yeah. you know, we, we had all those ups and downs where Steve was like, well, they're going to get the best player, but she's going to get pregnant. So they're going to get the best player. And then this is going to happen. Like and amidst all that, the player that stood up in the huddle and got everybody to get off their butts and believe in a comeback was a tryout player that Van Chancellor didn't even think was going to make the team. <laughs> It's and such a Disney story. It's just that that that's the part that that's what makes me love the comets. Like all of this is like respect the comets and think about the comets and they have history and you should not. But like that's what makes me love the story 
is that the real difference maker and, and they were all difference makers. They were all MVPs. They were all multi-time all-stars, but in the moment when they needed it, it was Kim Peratt getting a steal and a three pointer and giving an impassioned, you know, fourth quarter comeback speech. And she was, you know, she was a player who just made the team because she scrapped. And, and I, you know what? I love when life is like that. So <laughs> even though, even though that story ends so tragically, it's like, that's, I don't know. That's the stuff that makes me like sports. So, yeah, I would say I'm, go, go I'm going to take away that, that the Houston Comets, just as Steve has so eloquently done, like they truly do reflect an actual comet, right? <laughs> like, like who knew when they came up with that name that it was l- like, it was going to be just this, like an actual, you know, prediction of what, their team would do over the next, you know, 15 years or not, not even 15. How many, what? 12. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's just, that's crazy to me in. It's funny. Cause in 1997, when the Hellbop comet became this popular phenomenon. People were talking about it later in, you know, in late 97 and moving on, it became really associated for two things. One is the heaven's gate cult. <laughs> <laughs> strangely enough, which I, it's funny that I never once brought them up, but, and the other is this basketball team because the timing of it was pretty nuts. How they ironically too, it was the timing of the Hillbop comment. And they actually had a mascot named Haley. They went with Haley's comment for that one. And I guess that one sort of makes sense because that's a name and it's mascot, whatever you have you. It's funny that we never really talked about that. Um, to tie to the Kim piece that Logan brought up, Something really interesting me to me is the only the currently the only like active thing that still stands living breathing as as evidence of the Houston Comets today is Kim's place is still running and functioning in MD Anderson in Houston. It was recently oh, remodeled awesome. and they still have fundraisers for it. I, I every now and again, if you go on their Facebook, they'll pop up a fundraiser. You can get a shirt. I'm actually keeping close ties on it. The next time they have one, I'm going to do everything I can to get a shirt. Um, I would absolutely give my toes for a Kim Peratt jersey. There's one on eBay that's not even in my size, and it's $300, and I'm still thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I, and that's kind of a fun challenge to anyone here. If you have Comets merch, if you have any sort of Comet swag, I want to see pictures of it. Like, shoot us your Comet swag. To uh, at at WNBA Pod on Twitter because or WNBA Nation Pod on Twitter because I want to see that uh what, what kind of stuff you're flying if something exists I want to see what it looks like because I uh, that's kind of been a fun thing to me and that's kind of the thing that I loved about this team we talk a lot when we talk about the WNBA about the Dantarossis and the Maya Moors and those players that bring a certain swagger to the game because for a long time if you're outside looking in. Uh, there's a certain visual that some people might have of women's basketball that is beyond outdated. You know, the, the ponytail set shot type of thing. Right. And often when we go to the argument and say, not even close, this is just dope basketball. Those are the types of players we turn to that have that swagger. And the comments had that from the get go. And it wasn't just with their big three. It was up and down that roster. I think you talk about Kim. Absolutely there. You thought thought Janeth or King. That was there. Those early comments players, Wanda Guyton, Tammy Jackson, like they brought that level 
they help popularize raise the roof. I, like, what else do you have to say? Like that, it's not necessarily official, but I like to call that four year run the raise the roof era. I think it's, I just think it's a fun name. I'm down. For you that. had like yes. five slam a jamma. I like the raise the roof era because that that to like that to what it felt like to me. That kind of spoke for what that team was and how much they captured the the Houston audience and and got them to believe it was a pretty cool thing. And you know, especially when you consider since then you've got the Dynamo and then you have cheating your way into a World Series. That's really all you've got if you're Houston. And I'll never not bring that up. And if you're from Houston, I'm sorry if that offends you, but sorry. <laughs> Again, I'm trying to stay positive, trying to stay positive. And that really is what this was to me, was they were a team that honestly made the WNBA cool from its very impetus. And if you're someone that says no one watches the game or WNBA isn't cool or it's not interesting, it has been from day one. And it's why the best argument, the comments are living proof why the best argument for anyone who's questioning the validity of the WNBA is just watch a game and you'll know what we're talking about. It's so true. And to that's me, what that's. Yeah. That was literally, that's our story. Yeah. Right. Well, so we watched a game and immediately that's the biggest thing we took away. Like we got a, amazing treatment for anybody who hasn't heard our story. Like just stick around. You know, like we'll, we'll probably repeat it every year when it comes around that time. Yeah. But but uh yeah, like we were treated like kings and the best part was the yeah. basketball. Like that's we, what I'll always take away from that. We got this yeah, we got a random haphazard call out on Twitter. We got to travel to a game and, and honestly that was the reason this podcast kicked off because we we had another show we were doing and we put that one to bed and decided to focus on the W because as people who've spent a long time in media, we were just like, How are not enough people talking about about this league. And it was because we had this fun day where we were given kind of cool perks and without question, the best part of the day was the basketball. You know, Logan and I talked about how even before the game started, you know, just getting to watch Dan Tarasi warm up and, you know, those types of moments. And I realized that that environment, that energy, that pulse existed from the start. And to me, it kicked off with the Houston comments. It was right. Uh, some so fun to watch. If if you haven't had a chance on YouTube, there's like four or five full comments games you can watch from that era. Watch them to their entirety. It's so much fun to watch, and it's great. It's great teams. It's great moments, and um, there's some fantastic, you know, highlight reels and montages. Um, you know, I brought up that Cynthia Cooper's USC highlight reel on YouTube is possibly my favorite highlight video I've ever seen. It's fantastic, and but as far as as far as the team goes, there's so much to be excited about. I I thoroughly enjoyed this experience. Uh, it was, I I f- almost felt like it was depressing because the team doesn't exist and hasn't in 12 years. But I felt like I almost like built and fostered this relationship because when I I lived in Houston for two years and when I lived there, I legitimately lived you know, got there in 2008 when the team was ready to close up. So I didn't really get to have any sort of reverence with them. And so this kind of gave me a chance to connect with the team in a way that I didn't get to. And and it's it's pretty sweet. The city of Houston just embraced us. 
And when we won that first championship in 97, our thought was we might do this for two or three years. And at the end of the day, that's all I wanted, to win as many championships as possible. It was great to win the first, to be the first, and forever in the history of the WNBA, there will only be one first champion. Three on one break, swoops, Parat, back to Cooper. <laughs> yes, showtime. Yeah, any last thoughts you guys have about this? Uh, I guess the stories we put this one to bed and we... No, figure out what we're going to do Honestly, next. Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> I, say, I'm excited to see what you've got for us next, uh, because this is how I've been spending my evenings ever since the, the world <laughs> went out of control. I, so I've, I've, I've had several, I've had several ideas of like, I, I'm excited to see, like, I, I want to do yeah. one. I'd love to have Logan do some research, research and do one for us. Like this would be yeah. a lot of fun to like, especially where there's not actual basketball being played right now. Like this has been a great way to pass the time and keep talk about the WNBA. Like this really has, and I think I've loved it. Uh, you know, we've talked about how we want to refrequent this. I think this definitely would be something we do off seasons for sure. We might take a break from it in the regular season, and it might almost be like in the off season. It'll be like next off season will be season two of W History. You know, where we maybe by then we'll we could even do a fun thing where we reveal, hey, during the off season, here are the here are the 10 stories we're going to tell you or whatever. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll figure something out. But I, I wish I could say what we're going to do next. I have a couple ideas and I haven't quite figured out uh, which one are going to have the most substance. I know that co-hosts have some ideas. We also know that each and every one of you have your ideas and we absolutely yeah. want your thoughts. What are the stories you want to hear about? Are there players you want us to chronicle? Are there teams you want us to chronicle? Are there specific minute games you know, maybe it's just one game. Maybe it's this particular story arc. Is there something about the WNBA you would love us to deep dive? We want to hear it. And Logan, if anyone does have those thoughts, where can they reach out to us? We are at WNBA Nation Pod on Twitter and all forms of media. And we're on every sort of place you can find podcasts. And I think we're on Facebook. And you have our personal you know, Twitter accounts by now several times over if you've been following the show <laughs> Um, but yeah, at Steve Schwartzman and Kyle Haywood and Logan Jones and, uh, Jason's is weird. I can never find Jason's. He's like C snow, CJ, CJ snow, 1711. Yeah, yeah. Mine's Haywood underscore Kyle. I'm at yeah. S E Schwartzman. Yeah. 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 You'll, you'll find us. You'll find us liking all of the show's <laughs> tweets and, and reacting to things yeah. on the show's right. feed. Logan's um, at A we, plus K. That's a joke. That's Ashton Kutcher. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> Please don't confuse Ashton with uh, WNBA take. I mean, you can, uh, but he he'll he he knows to point. He might us, be confused. You know, he'll yeah. point you he'll point you. You never know. <laughs> you never know if Kelso's way into the game. Um, anyway, but uh, we, yeah, we love yeah. interacting with all of you. I, I, one of the biggest bummers of not having a kind of a normal uh, start to a season right now is I was really looking forward to getting to some games this year and and seeing lots of you in person and. Uh, the more that we we get to feel like we're still in touch with the WNBA family on on social media, the better. Especially because social media has been kind of dark lately. So um, yeah. come have some fun with us on there anytime you want. Let us know what you liked about these history episodes and maybe some ideas of what we could do next. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. If you have any story ideas, we want to hear it. Um, you know, there's going to be a balance between things that have, you know, whether it's a unique intrigue or it's a very well known intrigue, but also 
you know, a difficulty we run into is, is finding media. We're very lucky that, you know, I, I want to give credit to the Houston Chronicle, and especially for W.H. Stickney, who uh, was the main beat writer for the comments during those years. And that guy was plugging out like two or three articles a day during their heyday. He did some amazing stuff. They were, uh, you know, that was a huge resource for me. And I want to call that out. Um, you know, if we can find the right amount of, of content, you know, content to do that research, we want to tell that story. That's what we're here to do. So, you know, hopefully we can pull that off. Uh, Kyle, anything else you want to say before we put a bow on this one? No, I think I'm good, man. All right. Well, with that, there it is. That's the story of the Houston Comets in three parts. Uh, if you haven't, for some reason, uh, check the others out. Uh, go back into our feed, check out part one and part two, and stay tuned. We'll, we'll have an announcement before long about what we'll expect to do for the next series installment of W History. It might be a one-parter. could be a three-parter. Who knows? You know, it just depends on how things dial out. Uh, of course, in the meantime, as other news and insights come up with the league, we'll of course be doing our regular WNBA nation episodes. Stay tuned for more NWSL nation episodes as Mike McPhee and myself, uh, begin to chronicle the lead up to the challenge cup, uh, which will take place. It will be in place of the NWSL season this year. So a lot of stuff to be excited about. Uh, but until all of that, thank you so much for joining us on this journey here on W history on behalf of WNBA nation. And, and, Thanks again. Until we talk to you again, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.